Welcome back to Own and Operated. Today, we talk with Bryant Solentrop. We talk about how and why he got into the janitorial space, as well as how he got started with no experience and limited capital. But one of the most important things we talk about this episode is coming to terms with the difficulty of running a business, specifically the deep emotional struggles of failure. If you've ever been in the zero to one stage of building a business, this episode is for you. Enjoy. If you listen to our show, you know that we can spend months sourcing businesses, talking with them, negotiating LOIs, conducting due diligence, all for a deal to fall through at the finish line. Microacquire solves that whole problem, whether you're buying or selling a business. As a seller, you're getting introduced to over 50,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. As a buyer, you get to sort through profitable, vetted sellers and close in 30 days. We don't own any digital businesses yet, but over the next year, we're intending to grab a couple, and Microacquire is going to be our choice for a sourcing platform. All right, welcome back to Owned and Operated. Today, we have Bryant Solentrop. He's going to be with us today. We're going to be diving into his, his background, his business, and we're just really excited to have him here. So, Brian, how about you take a minute or two and just go into your background? So that way you can catch us all up. Yeah. I, you know, did the, after high school, I went and wrestled in college for a couple of years, studied accounting. It was atrocious. Then I went to finance. It was slightly better, but still pretty bad. Then I went and studied the economics and amidst studying all those tests and everything, I decided I want to stop cutting weight. So, ditched the wrestling thing, got a girlfriend did the uh, economics thing and it was really good and I loved it, but I wasn't like a diehard academic. I kind of always knew I wanted to be doing something with small business. So my dad comes from a commercial property background. I just found out the other day, my granddad owned a laundromat back in the day. So that's kind of like the 30 years ago, you know, and that's just kind of like the, what I'm cut from. So, you know, just a little bit of that background. And then on my mom's side, I got, he did a lot of business stuff too, um, my granddad over there. So I worked for him some summers and I didn't really know there was, you know, this big corporate thing, like I was just foreign to me. So I'm from Wichita, Kansas. That's a lot of mom and pops. Like we don't have as much of the big companies, pretty much aviation is all we got. So yeah, after that, then I, I got a job for a year because I got, wanted to get married and thought I had to get something stable. And so after that, I the kind of the pandemic happened. And I was like, well, I don't really like this job that I have. And I wanted to start something on my own. So here we are. I wish I was more analytical about like my approach with everything that I did. But mostly it was I'm moving to a new state because that's where my wife's going to be, a new city specifically. And I need something with limited startup capital. And I need something that I know other people are doing poorly. So that was my thesis and that and getting a, a little, I'll say, obsessed with Nick Huber's stuff years ago. And that's just kind of history. We started in August and we've been rolling ever since. I don't even think that I understood that you had just begun. So you're like eight months in. Yep. Yep. Okay. We are, we're pretty green. Yeah, man, that's awesome. All right. Before we get too much further... Brandon will will agree with this. Laundromats are my new obsession. So now I'm just <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just bumped up. So we have Rand on my team now. 
we found like a couple laundromats for sale on Biz by Sell earlier this week. So I was like, Rand, go get them. So, so yesterday he calls up the owner and he goes out to like three of them, takes all these videos. And, and we, yeah, so we're real worked up about laundromats right now. <laughs> Amazing. That was too convenient. <laughs> I may have binged. There's, there's one laundromat podcast and I may have listened to 20 episodes the other night on a shift. So I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah, it might have happened. Yeah, it might have happened. I don't know. Okay, all right. So, so you just started brand new, eight months. That's really cool. So, talk to us about, I guess, what the first three months look like. Yeah. So, I moved out here last summer, and honestly, I put up a Google My Business location. I put together my website, a little bit of a web design background. I managed about twenty sites in college for beer money, basically. And so I figured I could take this digital marketing thing and add it to this and get a little something out of it. My first customer came right through my Google My Business listing, filled out a contact form. I showed up wearing this shirt that I'm wearing here, looking like I knew what I was doing, which I kind of did. Quoted the job. It was a $23,000 a year customer. And I said, we're in business. So a couple of weeks later, I was getting married that week, onboarded that first customer that same week. My wife was not very happy about that, but it got us rolling and it got us the cash we needed to start moving and basically, you know, just building off that and it's a recurring business. So I don't have to constantly be out there farming for new business. I mean, I do, but we have some things to count on, right? So it's a firm foundation, lower margins, but it's an interesting business to be in for sure. Yeah, that is hilarious about the first week of your wedding and you guys are expecting now. Yeah, we are in October. So hopefully yeah. we'll be up to about 15 team members by then and have our ops manager in place and, and then we'll be, you know, things will be okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was the first 90 days. Can you tell us a little bit about, I'm curious about the thesis. So this year, going off on your own in a new city, there had to be doubts. There had to be validations of like, hey, yeah, this is the right move. And then why you chose the specific niche inside janitorial that you did. Because I feel like there's so many different ways you can go inside that niche. Yeah. You know, there's all these personality tests and stuff. And I strike hard in the ENFJ category or whatever that means. And basically that means you, you like relationships. I wanted to be in a business where I could build long-term relationships. And if there if ever was one, it's definitely janitorial. And so I wanted to be something with a recurring nature. And then the other thing about it is it's a very people-based business. So what you'll find is, and I'm sure you know this with your service business, but even more so, almost all of your cost of goods sold is in your techs. So your labor is your variable cost. I mean, your primary variable cost, and you got to keep it, you know, keep it tight. And that's what basically sets apart, you know, successful janitorial companies from what I've seen and ones that are unable to scale. Most people get burned out on hiring techs and they just quit. So that was kind of the thesis was, I know that I have unique skills. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I wasn't, you know, the best and brightest on my ACT, but I know how to talk to people. I'm one of nine kids. Like that's just, you know, I know how people work. <laughs> that's just how it works. Like you just learn, I guess, as you bump along. So. Yeah, I can dig that. And then did you have any doubts leading up to it or, or what other models did you look at pre-cleaning oh yeah totally i have doubts every day to be honest but no lawn care 
I looked at lawn care. I looked at pressure washing. I looked at window cleaning. I looked at a lot of the, you know, typical low startup capital options. And now keep in mind, this is all going on before Twitter. I had no idea that all these people are out there that are doing interesting things. Like I thought I was out here on an island by myself. And the only other people in small business world was people that were over the age of 70. And, you know, so basically I looked around lawn care. I was like, man, I can't keep a seven, you know, a 60 inch mower. I love mowing lawns, but I can't keep a 60 inch mower in my front of my apartment out here. And then it, it really was that simple. And I just figured I could get something under my belt, you know, under me to get the cash to start rolling. And I would learn along the way. And I'll tell you what, I learned more in the last six months than I probably did in the last five years previous. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. Okay. So you had a lot of different options to choose from. And I think you mentioned Nick Huber. So you probably really got into the whole sweaty startup thing. I think there's a whole list of all the different sort of low risk, low capital intensive startups you can do. Janitorial is what came out, specifically commercial janitorial. Yeah. I mean, I met a couple mentors and that's the part I should plug. I've talked about this on Twitter briefly, but you know, it's so fleeting. You know, you mm -hmm. post a tweet, somebody sees it, but six months later, everybody forgets. 30 days later, everyone forgets. Two days um, later. Yeah, exactly. So I had a guy that I talked to and he was a friend of my grandfather's and this is back in the middle of the pandemic, you know, it's like no shaking hands, no, all this, you know, stuff. And so but we did kind of a closed door thing. He walked me around his shop, you know, he showed me, he said, Hey, this is all the equipment that we used. I started in janitorial. Now I'm in all these different selective services. And I thought that was incredible. So he's doing all kinds of, cause basically you get your foot in the door in a building and you win that first $50,000 contract with not a lot of margin. But then you introduce other services that you can offer, right? Whether that's window cleaning, carpet cleaning, that's what people think of. But there's so much in the ancillary construction services. And that guy started telling me, you know, hey, he's doing pretty well. And I thought, wow, I didn't know you could make that much money just cleaning people's stuff up. He has a good, solid team and they've done really good work. He doesn't have a website. He doesn't have any of that stuff. And I mean, not that he needs it, you know, that's not really, I think a lot of people like to have this idea that, oh, well, if I just add a website, like just add water, it'll like fix everything. It'll and triple like, in a month, right? Look, if their business was doing 25 million in revenue and without a website, adding a website is not, I mean, everybody already knows who they are. So you got to be honest with yourself. But that was such a cool experience because that guy's showing me, you know, around. And then I had an opportunity to talk to a guy who started his business not long ago. So that guy was a vet, right? But this, then I had an opportunity to talk to a guy who's a couple years my senior, another friend of a friend, and he started his business a few years ago. You know, I think he bought it with doing very minimal revenue, like maybe one or two techs. And I think he's up to 40 now. And this is just within a few years. So I thought, man, if he can do it, I can do it, right? So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little arrogant, but... Can help. I mean, that that's awesome though. I think, yeah, being able to see where you want to get. There was a guy who was pretty formative to me. I don't think I liked the guy very much at all, actually, but I was a part of this better business practices group and you'd like get together with companies that were, you know, of all shapes and sizes in like a tri-state area. And there was this one guy that showed up and he was doing deals 
like in plumbing and HVAC. So we're all plumbing and HVAC. And he's like, yeah, I just bought another HVAC company and I'm looking at this other one. And and this was the first time I'd ever heard of anyone doing roll-ups. I didn't even really know this was like a thing. By that point, I'd bought my parents, but, and I think I had just bought another one or I was preparing to close on another one, but I had never actually seen someone with like 10 deals under their belt that was just a normal dude like me. Like it was really weird, but it was also like, okay, yeah, like this is so, okay, this goes somewhere. This is awesome. So yeah, that experience of being able to meet, meet with people ahead of you is just awesome. Exactly. I love to hear the stories and, you know, they're kind of legendary, but you know, it's like my granddad, I think he, you know, he, he went from a laundromat, he built houses like for himself. And then he, you know, you rent some and then you go to an apartment and then you get some, a little bit of commercial property. And it's like, man, I mean, he's smart, but he didn't go to college. He he just went to like a tech school for one year and he's one of the smartest and, and most successful people I know. And the stories like that, I mean, blue jeans, millionaires, endless, right? It's really cool. And especially in the service-based space, there's a lot of Titans, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So could awesome. you tell us like a little bit, you know, you see, so you, so you had these mentors that came in, right? And kind of gave you the whole scoop on, on what janitorial services would look like. But what did barriers to entry look like? Because you're talking, you know, limited capital startups, general low barriers to entry. How did that look for you? Yeah, I think that there's a book that I'm reading right now on the janitorial industry because I am still so new to it. And there, there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, they estimated $37,000 just to get started. And that was as an independent. And I started my business for less than 1000 So I think it's really just depends on the way that you roll. So if you're like me and you're like very much a zero to one person, you're like, how do I take the most cheap, you know, how do I start from nothing, right? How do I get this from scratch? So I bought a $400 vacuum and I think all the cumulative supplies of everything else I bought was a hundred bucks. You know, you pay to get licensed. I think I got jobber way too early, which was just foolish of me. I was like, I need software, you need software, you need a customer. So yeah, I mean, I less than 500 bucks. Okay. So I guess in, in that mind, you know, looking back on the startup of it, would you have changed anything or did that seem like the, you know, the perfect way to go for that, that just get your hands in and get it figured out? The grass is always greener, but I'll tell you what, there's been some times in this past fall and I had a pretty much like a, a breakdown moment this past fall where I, you know, I know that I'll be okay no matter what happens, but it's pretty emotional. Like I sent out a tweet and I almost deleted it like right before I deleted it. And it was just saying something about like, we're going to do a smaller Christmas this year. Like, you know, I just don't feel like I can like, I'm really feeling like beat up. You know, I'm like, we're not making, like I'm making even less than I was at my other job. And, you know, before this. And so I was just thinking, man, this is tough. (laughs) So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, why didn't I keep my job while I did this on the side for a while? And, you know, that's possible, maybe, but also probably wouldn't have gotten that first customer because I went and did that quote during the day. They, they're not even available at night. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's just that, and that tweet ended up right. I was about to delete it. I went on a run and, you know, I came back the next day, there was like 600 likes on it or something like that. And a bunch of people, all these like tech people responding with their startup stories. And I know this is nothing like that. You know, this isn't like a hundred million dollar company, but 
you know, this, this matters to me. And the thing about small business is it's always inherently personal. That's what I love about it. So I think if I was to advise somebody, uh, you know, I would want to have a, a good stack of carded, get rolling, get a customer. So yeah. I dig that. How did that first customer go for you? You know, coming in here, it was a commercial customer, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was. It was. And I'll tell you what, I definitely could have used some more education. You know, my experience up until then was pretty much cleaning my own bathroom, which I'll admit I wasn't the best at. Yeah. So we figured it out. You know, you run a vacuum, you mop a floor. It's not that hard. But yeah, I mean, like the first time she's like, the floors are sticky. I'm like, okay, got to go to Lowe's, got to figure this out. So you go and you try something else, but like you can't really go that wrong. Right. Like, I mean, I just think about it. It's like you're cleaning people's toilets. Like as long as you follow the instructions on the back of the bottle, of the chemicals, like you'll be okay. You know, I don't want people out there just messing around. You know, you chemicals, you can hurt yourself. You want to be careful, but follow the instructions and shoot, that's it. I think I would say like, you know, find somebody in your corner, find somebody in your industry that can really instruct you. Um, and I eventually did that. So it's been helpful. I want to take a small step back. I actually didn't see the the Christmas thread, but the small, I don't know. It's the highest highs and lowest lows, and I totally get it. I think like some of the hardest parts of my life have been, there was like maybe difficult stuff going on, but then massively compounded by whatever was going on inside the company. I was texting Rich Jordan about this earlier, but I did a deal in 2018, and I just didn't really know what I was doing. And then quarter one, 2019 was like, it was about a year later and I had to come to terms with everything that I had done wrong in that deal, which was like cash flow projections, understanding cyclicality, it just all this stuff that's kind of basic, but I just didn't know. And then I ate my own lunch and it was terrible. And it was like, I don't think I slept for 90 days. <laughs> you know, I, I had to pick up a new workout routine. And yeah, I mean, man, it was crying at work. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. the worst. It was the worst. It is, it's a journey. And yeah, I mean, I, I think share it and I think be open about it. And in your case, you didn't make any mistakes. Like mine was my own hubris. Like you didn't make any mistakes. It's just hard. <laughs> it's just hard. Everything is harder than it looks. I'll tell you that much. But that's, I mean, no matter where you go, everything, I think many of the things that are worth doing, like still remain to be difficult. So everything always looks easier. You only hear about people's wins. I'll tell you what, that's something that Chris Powers talks about all the time. He's like, you only hear about when people have success and that can really mess with your head. Like for me, I'm like, man, I can't get this freaking business right. Like, I just got to get this. This is so easy. Look at other people. Look at, look at John, look at Rich, which, which don't compare yourself to Rich because you're just going to be disappointed. But I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, it's emotional and it will always be emotional. And I'm just, I think one of the greatest blessings I've had in the last year has just been stumbling on the Twitter community. It's been huge made so many good friends and gotten so much good advice. Yeah. And I think I agree on the comparison thing. It's tough. I'm trying to think of a good example. There's a couple of guys in my area where we find ourselves comparing ourselves to, and it's like, man, how are they doing X, X, and X? And usually you find out they're playing a different game for the one thing. And then the other is, yeah, people only ever share their wins. So I've done my my best to hopefully be as transparent <laughs> publicly <laughs> about all the ways that I mess up just because I think it's it's much more interesting. 
when you can be like, yeah, man, I really, I lost a hundred grand because I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I think I remember, I, I mean, since we've opened, we've, we've lost one customer. And I think that was one of the most devastating things I've ever dealt with. And it seems like it's not that big a deal. It's like, so the customer's only $400 a month and I underbid it initially anyways. So we weren't even making any money. Like, but I'm like, just when it hits you at the same time, like it's, it's personal, you know, it's like you, you have a huge point of pride and tend to be of the, you know, ownership mentality. It's like, everything's my fault. Like everything is my fault, which is okay, but also can, can wreck you. So um, you, you just have to power through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's the startup. That's tough. <laughs> I feel you. So when you first started hiring technicians, how did you, I mean, obviously you take a lot of pride in what you, what you're doing. You lost a customer that, that hurt. You felt that physically. So as I'm listening to this, I'm like hiring has to be especially difficult because you're trusting people with something that was your ground up. Like this is your baby. How are you hiring people, training them, onboarding them? Yeah. So right now I don't have an operations manager, which makes me chief everything. And that means that I'm basically doing the training. So what that looks like is, you know, somebody applies generally through Indeed. We take them through our hiring process. We have them do, a, we call it a working interview, but they're full W2 employee when they sign up. And then, so, you know, we, we bring them on and they do three days of training. If they do, if they do well in their three days of training, then they get, you know, they get their bumped and they become a tech. And usually by three days, they figured out how to vacuum, take out the trash, clean some bathrooms and, and done their general stuff that they need to figure out. And as far as onboarding, I mean, it's pretty insane. Like with technology, like I really do use Gusto and I just, and this isn't a plug for them or whatever, but just being able to send somebody a link and they can figure out, they can fill out basically all their information. And um, I that's huge, especially have a huge churn in our industry. And Gusto is like payroll HR benefits, it looks like? Yeah, it's like all those things. I don't know about the other stuff. I just know about like payroll. And I mean, mm -hmm. I do my workers comp through there. So it like cycles up and down as, ne as needed. But yeah, I mean, I think when you have to hire, I mean, we're basically a staffing company. Because like, if you look at our industry, you know, the work we do is at night. It's usually a second job. So people don't want to work a second job forever. I mean, I wish that I could do 40 hours, but if you think about it, like most people don't want that anyways. So most people want, Hey, I need something from six to 10. I'm just trying to make some extra money to like pay off my credit card. I want to be that solution for them. Like I want to be able to be somebody that if they only want to work for us for four months, that that can still work out. Like our processes and systems are tight enough that they can come work for us for four months. They leave. It was a win-win situation. You can only do that if your stuff's on rails. And that's the stuff that I'm working on. Just like getting ops really tight around the hiring process and the training process. So currently experimenting with Trainual just to like, so that they can watch the videos kind of in person. So that even limits what I have to show them in person as well. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I had never known that cleaning, staffing, that it was primarily second jobs and night jobs. That is a unique opportunity if you can do what you said, which is keep that thing tight as hell. How do you make the funnel? Because that's just constant replenishment of almost like cohorts of cleaners. 
Yeah. And I'm so new to this, like we're still learning so much, but what I've seen, you know, successful people do, I'll tell you what, I've even, I don't do this personally, but I've even seen a whole process where a guy had a virtual assistant that was, you know, reading through a hundred Indeed applications a week, sending him the 20 that met certain requirements. And then those 20 send up phone interviews. They have five come in for actual interviews and one or two stay. And they do that every single week. And that's how they're able to get candidates that, you know, that that is a good fit for their hours, for their situation. A lot of people will sign up and they'll think, oh, this job's not during the day, you know? So it's just, that's just the way it is. But you have to have a funnel. And I think, so yeah, so using the online job processes, you know, the job boards is the only way to do that. You're not scouring. You can't find one-offs. Like, how are you going to scale a business if you're going to go find one lady from your church? It's just not going to happen. So. Yeah. The, okay. So this is this is kind of interesting. Where do I want to go with this, it, Brandon? It just kind of reminds me of sort of the way we project staffing, but you could almost machine it out more. So, Brian, we're starting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if? Because I'm sure availability of cleaners is probably one of the biggest barriers to growth, and obviously the next one is customer acquisition, right? Like th- those are the those are the big ones. <laughs> but if you could create this funnel where you do exactly what you said that other guy was doing, you have a VA like we'll link you up to Bright Drop, <laughs> our VA system. They're like four hundred dollars a week, and they do phone calls and back office and stuff. And then their entire job is recruitment. I think you could do a once a month cohort of like four cleaners and just always just do that. And then if you're if you're able to or go hire a biz dev or something like that. So that way customer acquisition can keep up and then you're constantly churning two to five new cleaners every month. I mean, that would be you could machine that. That'd be awesome. That is the goal and you do have to get to a certain scale. I looked at it initially and thought, why would anyone ever buy this business? Such an easy business to start. Oh, what a fool. (laughs) If you have 30 employees in the customer base to sustain that, that's actually a great jumping off point because then you could put those processes in place. I'm not at the point where I need to make a hire every week, but eventually we will be, right? One to two hires every single week. And I just got like a thing, you know, I'm get I get a uh, government stuff sent to me like RFPs and things like that. It's like 30 buildings, you know, like at one time, how are we going to do that without the systems and processes? Like you said, I think that's the move. I like the idea of using a VA. I don't have time. I would rather do the biz dev side, albeit that's probably a little prideful on my side. Like I should probably try and find somebody to do that as well. So yeah, I definitely want to check out the funnel, like you said, like creating, you know, that that's the, that's the main, I think the key lynch, like the bottleneck, the main bottleneck in this industry. Yeah. So I want to, I just want to share with you what we're about to build, because I feel like you could take it and use it however you want to use it, but we're building an academy. So we have, we have to create skilled techs, which is, I'm sure you're team is very skilled, but it is a little bit different. So what we're trying to do is we're building a school inside our company that we're using the term cohort. That's why I've, <laughs> that's why I keep using it. But we're going to put in four or five hires every six months. First one's going to be June 1st. 
and it, it'll take them six months to train out of that program, and then we'll make it profitable towards the end as they become somewhat useful in our business. But the whole thing is you funnel every six months, whereas you might need it more often than that. But what we found out, like we've we've wanted to do this for years because obviously skilled trades, staff is the problem. Like you need more staff. You're selling time. And what we found out was there was a government program in Ohio that will pay the first $10,000 of wages for employees that you're bringing on to train. So this, we've wanted to to do this program for years, but it was like, I can't bring on five people and incur all that cost. Like we're not, we don't have the scale to afford to do that. But the, the government literally pays their first four months of payroll completely free. So we have four months to train them. We're probably going to lose two or three just because they don't last through the program. And then we end up with two. But by the time we actually get them profitable between the four to six month mark, we've spent no money on payroll. They're fully trained and we're ready to go. I love it. I, I think it's a good example of what takes you from zero to two or take doesn't take you from two to four or four to six. Like That's so cool to me because I know that there's such a lack in the trades. And you're right. Like what we do is really like, like I said, somebody can be trained up on it in three days and that's the blessing and the, and the curse of it, I guess. So we don't have as, you know, our revenue per employee is like what a fifth of what yours is probably, or a sixth. It's very low, but at the same time, you know, what it's all about is I think making the difficult easy or making the difficult simple. And that's what we're all trying to do. Cause if my competition can't staff, all my competition has raised their wages up to my wages now in the last two months because they can't staff right now. Everybody's struggling. Calls are increasing because people can't staff too. So it's, you know, filling that unique need, I think is going to be very powerful moving forward. Yeah. I would encourage you to look at what your state offers for funding for this type of program too, because I'm sure that they probably offer something because that's what made this program possible for us wasn't because we're larger or more profitable or whatever, but it's because the government's paying for it. (laughs) That was a big deal. Like that, we've been talking about this for probably two or three years. And then we had a call with them and it was like, oh, oh, we're okay. All right. We're doing this right now. Let's go. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a level I don't think on, you know, right now, but that's definitely the natural evolution is looking at what other opportunities sit outside of our normal like scope of view i think the facebook groups and the things like that were really helpful for me getting started but now it's like this is not helpful you know you got to evolve out of that i mean you probably see the one-off plumbing guy tech facebook groups they're probably out there i'm assuming and uh, like do they help you get to a company size of 10 techs or 20 techs or something like that maybe maybe not so i think that I think Twitter, you know, Twitter and the SMB community is super valuable. And I think that we need to think that I need to look more intensely at our government programs and what we have available. We are definitely receiving a lot of funding in this area. It's definitely an area in need. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'll definitely take a look. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think over time, you know, the whole show is really about ops, right? So over time, as we've grown, we've tried to take these real, like you said, make the hard things easy or simple. We've tried to make take these very complicated plateaus and how do we machine it from there? Like our marketing was a big one. We did an episode on it because it was, you know, you need customers to grow. 
So how, how do we machine it and just turn it into the cycle that we don't have to re-examine this at 10 million or 20 million? Uh, vehicles, same thing. Tax is the big one now because we can't recruit our way out of it. We have to build a, a machine to just sort of factory technicians. I don't know. Brandon, what do you think is going to be the next one? I did have a little bit of a, a question, I guess, for you on that, though, is, you know, with that whole funnel, you're in that unique spot where, you know, you're trying to grow, right? Like, and, and at a fast pace. So if you go in and you bid this contract, let's say a government contract, like you said, you know, 30 billion, something crazy like that, or even something in a realistic realm of, I don't know, say 10, what's that timeline look for you to build your employee funnel up enough to support that job? Like, do you see it as feasible or is that funnel so hard to capture right now, that that's not even a possibility for you? No, I think it's a, I think it's a distinct possibility. I think you dial it up with Indeed on the ads and, and you really make a good, strong hiring effort and you do your funnel and you try and get them to sign their, you know, their signup information and do the training. And if they do that, you know, if they, if they do those things, like they're probably going to show up, they're probably going to be good workers. And I don't think that's going to be an issue. And like I said, I think it's just looking at it in a different lens. I will say it's a second job for most people. So it's not, you know, it's, you've got to find people that are already employed, basically. I mean, we definitely have employed not, you know, people where it's their only job, but it tends to work out better if it's their second job. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, six months out is probably when that government contract, you know, like would start or something like that. You know, they generally give you notice about them. But then the thing is like, the longer you're in this game, the more, you know, like all my competitors I mean, you can go look at the PPP listing and I can go see who's in janitorial, who's in my industry and who took PPP money. And they took payroll money of a million dollars or whatever it was. Oh, they're huge. I mean, like they're a very good sized janitorial business. You'll never find their website. You'll never find anything about them. And they, but they know, they know when the government contracts come up, you know, you better believe that they know how to fill those RFPs out faster than anybody else and get that done. That's what we'll get to eventually. But yeah, I don't think it would be an issue. I think we could get, I think we could get the staff we needed. You see yeah. that as like a viable growth strategy is, you know, I'm, I'm going to call up, put in the, uh, what's that? The horse before the cart or the cart before the horse type of deal. But, you know, is that an ideal growth strategy or what do you see as the best option for that trying and, and build revenue streams? Yeah, I think you always do customer acquisition and you never know that week whether it's going to be a week of zero revenue or like a $5,000 a year customer or a $50,000 a year customer, right? So I think you always, ABCs always be crouting and you literally just keep at it always. I think that's the only way to do it. And the people that I've seen that had success do it have done it that way. Once you get to a certain scale, you have people inviting their friends and family, you know, that want to get additional income. And that seems to be a good solution for, you know, recruiting, but that's also not scalable. I think that's the only way you got to have a funnel. Mm -hmm. I mean, this business is a staffing business. Yeah. All right. That's, that's interesting. So, okay. So what, what do you think's up next, Brian? What's the next three to six months hold for you? What are the big challenges? How do you think you're going to handle them? Yeah, there's a few things. So I set the goal, the January one, because goals matter, but half a million dollars annual recurring revenue by the end of the year. I wanted to be projected for that for like the next 12 months, which is probably not the right way to do it. You probably say like X number of monthly recurring revenue. We're kind of on track for that. You know, we're a quarter way through the year. We're about a quarter way through that goal. 
And I, so my personal goal is to get to, you know, to get to that by the end of the year, but what is that? So then I'm backing out. Okay. I want to get to a half a million dollar business so that I can make X amount of money and pay for my own needs and, you know, pay for my wife's school. What does that look like? Okay. So we need, we're going to need probably about 30 techs, 34, and we're going to need two operations managers probably. And it's not really like a true operations manager because I'll still be overseeing a lot of stuff, but the people that get out there, they do trainings, they oversee the properties. It's almost like a sales. It's all the way I'm kind of seeing the models. It's like, it's almost like that person is an account manager basically. And they would manage. So I would have, you know, one account manager that's managing half of those accounts and the other managing the other. So I've got two major hires to, to make over the next, let's say seven, eight months. And then I've got a lot of techs to hire. So the hiring funnel is the most important thing. And then getting more aggressive with our sales tactics. Like I think that in a lot of ways, we have just been lackadaisical or when I, that's a Midwest word, if I ever heard one, lackadaisical. But, you know, the main thing that I need to do, because that gets me into sales, right? So with two ops managers, 30 some employees, you know, that, that allows me to just be aggressive on the sales side. And the way I'd like to do it, and I'm toying with some different models, but the way I'd like to do it is where those account managers are paid basically on commission as a percentage of the revenue that they're managing. So they're highly incentivized, well-paid people, but they are going to have to go the extra mile. You know, this works at night. It's not easy. And when a cleaner doesn't show up, you got to pick up a mop and, and get in there. So. Yeah, that's the main thing. It's going to be hiring. That's the main issue. Do you feel like you can turn any of your current bench into these account manager, option manager people? No, but I do think that I could I could turn some of them into supervisors. So I think we could get them to, you know, be, the way it would work would be like you get into a facility, there's three people working there at the same time. One person's a supervisor. They do the general check and then the, the ops person, they go by at the end of the night and make their, make sure things are like really perfect, you know? And I think we could do a lot of promoting from clean text to supervisors, but I think supervisors to account managers is a harder gap. Just like you've talked about, I know that you've talked about like, oh, we're going to have this plumbing tech be like a, like a manager of other plumbers. Like it's just what makes you good at one thing doesn't necessarily make you good at the other. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, those are that'll be an interesting position to fill. We just got put onto this one thing, not put onto it, but Brandon found out about this at an expo that I'm super excited about. All of our technicians have weekly goals for, you know, what their expectations are. And we have our what you're calling operating operators or operating managers. Those are our service managers, install managers, but it's weekly gross profit goal. So we're getting ready. I believe we're getting ready to do that because that like right now they're on every six months and putting them on weekly was like, to me, sounded like the biggest game changer in the world. You know, the shorter timeline you can go and the quicker people see that incentive fulfilled, the better for everybody. Yeah. And I think that that's something that as we scale, it's going to be incredibly important that we get them on some kind of, you know, we're not bonusing them every six months for the work that they did. Like I want that to come, I want that to be received on a very regular basis, bi-weekly or whatever, because for those managers, because 
you got to keep the pulse on a building constantly. There's no like dropping the ball for a week and then like saving that account. You've got to be on it. And so the software, we're experimenting with some different softwares. We run with Jobber right now, but I think just the big thing is going to be as we scale, how do we keep quality? And how do our ops managers maintain, you know, week to week, all that quality? So yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Do you think, to me, that sounded like almost a red flag. So if you can't lose quality for a week, then what happens if you lose an ops manager? Because you probably will. I I wonder if you could create a system where you have three or four and they alternate accounts every like two months. That way everyone knows every account. And then if you lose someone, you don't run the danger of them either taking all the accounts that they were managing or, you know, them dropping off because of quality sort of in the turnover because they're used to turning over accounts anyways. How do you keep that shifting? And then it might actually help you get better too, because then they would come in and be like, man, you know, if I just walked into this account. We've been dropping the ball on this for probably two months since the last guys had it. Because I would be afraid of making it too ownership heavy on those accounts. And then you lose a manager or something happens and then it immediately goes to hell because the other ops managers don't know how to jump in and grab it because they don't do it often. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The main thing that I'm trying to put in place is software. So the software that we're trying to use should communicate to our customers every week and get in, you know, it basically inquiries them about level of service. You know, you happy, you medium, you sad, you know, how does, how's it working out? And that should, you know, help us with some of that, but also having like a lot of checklists. Operation managers should be able to, with a checklist, come up to a property and basically be able to understand 98% of the nuances, 98% of what needs to get done in that building. They might not be as fast, but if the cleaning technicians are there, and this is what I'm really pushing for this year, is that it'll be okay. Because what I want is to be more focused on getting larger accounts, not because like the smaller accounts aren't profitable, like they're definitely profitable. But if I can have three or four technicians working on one place at the same time, it mitigates a lot of that risk that you're talking about right there. You know, so instead of, you know, we're got we're going to put in, let's say we're going to put eight in eight man hours in at this facility tonight. Well, let's split that up four ways, two hours each, you know, and then have them go from one location to another rather than, and, and maybe they all get four hours at the end of the day. But that way, if one person drops off, you know, they pick up the slack and it, it you know, they all work two and a half hours or they all work four and a half hours instead of four and they get the job done. My basic math's not working out there, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I got you. All right. Sweet. Well, I think I think we're probably going to close it down here. I really enjoyed I have never thought of cleaning sort of as granular <laughs> as this and the staffing needs. I thought the whole second job thing was fascinating. But that I feel like that's also a little bit of a superpower is that you don't need to fully take people and it's, hey, do you just need money over the next two months? I'm looking forward to watching as you build your funnel and get your 34 techs and two operating managers. I appreciate it, John. And thanks for having me and everything. It's been really good to bounce some ideas off of you and I'll keep doing it on Twitter. Sweet. Thanks.